It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Joining me today is William Paul Young, the author of The Shack, Crossroads, and The Eve. Paul has suffered tremendous loss in his life, and he struggled to live with an underlying shame that ran so deep it threatened his sense of sanity. He's here to discuss the potency of love and forgiveness, the road of reconciliation, the surprises of transformational healing, and the unexpected emergence of joy. Welcome, Paul. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Joan. It's an honor to be with you. Paul, it's great to have you back on the show. You were here a few years ago. And when you were here then, we talked about your book, The Shack, and how it came to be, and and you shared some of the amazing stories that surround the book. But today, I want to discuss your story. You've described the book, The Shack. The Shack is representing the human soul, the heart of a human being, and it's the house on the inside of all of us that the people around us help us build, the good and the bad. So... You've experienced many challenges in life. You, you've had issues with your father, sexual abuse, identity issues. How did those experiences create the person that you were, the one that you described as being broken? Oh, boy, great question. Um, you know, the experiences that we have growing up, they can't help but shape us. They become part of who we become. Uh, it doesn't validate uh, the losses. It doesn't justify the things that are stolen from us, but it is incorporated into who we become. And our responses to them have a huge impact on how that will then play out in our lives and then in our relationships around us. All of these things, you know, especially I think losses have a profound impact on us. And then, um, and then our lives become an expression of the choices that we make around that, yeah, especially with regard to the relationships that, that matter to us and that we allow into that space. Because I think it's, you know, much of our healing comes through relationships like much of our damage comes through relationships. And I know there was a time when you walk that line between giving up and surviving, and, and I know that feeling. So what happened to you? How were you able to get through that? Because there's so many people, Paul, that don't get through it. So what was it that you did? Oh, you know, one is I let go of control, which is a really hard thing to do. When you have lost the ability to trust anyone, whether it's God or the people around you or both, you know, safety becomes paramount and everything is about control. And at some point you have to let it go. You have to begin to trust someone. And um, for me, and I think this is true for a bunch of us, is that suicide is sort of the last way to run away. So it's, it's not actually hitting the bottom. People think it's hitting the bottom, mm-hmm. um, but it's not for a bunch of us. We, we have, are so used to running away from relationships, uh, if not physically leaving, um, uh, mentally, emotionally, vacating the relationship in one sense or another, 
And so everything becomes about safety and leaving. And then suicide, that whole temptation to that, uh, beginning to think that you're, you're worthless. I, whatever you need to do to justify that choice is, is oftentimes a, a, a way to run away. And that's why I walked that edge, and not just once, but a bunch of times um, earlier on in my life. You know, you've got a huge amount of shame. You feel like the world will be a better place without you, all that kind of uh, self-justification. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but I let go of control. And one of the ways that I did that, and, and it wasn't because, you know, one day I just figured out, oh, you know, I'm I'm so busted up that I got to figure out um, how to get some help. I got forced to it. It was either face my stuff and do the work or run. And suicide was one of the ways, was the fundamental way to run. And um, I, I opened up the yellow pages and I looked up uh, the category called counseling. And I started with the A's and worked my way down through until, until something caught my eye. And that's, that's where I found some help. The other thing is that I began to let family and friends into my world, which was incredibly hard to do. And, um, and, uh, you, you end up just, you know, putting one foot in front of the other day by day as you begin to walk through, but it, it, it requires authenticity. It requires honesty. It requires truth telling that requires letting go of all the secret places and the lies and, uh, the manipulation of relationships, uh, all of that becomes part of that journey and, and hard work worth the work, but, uh, really difficult and arduous. What about God, Paul? Usually when people are at that point, it's when they have the most difficult time finding him. So what role did your faith and did God play in helping you move forward? Well, I, I come from a traditional evangelical fundamental background, and, and the presence of God was always inside my world in the sense of theology and, and what we were taught to believe and all that. There was a real contradiction or a disparity in my understanding uh, when it came to the difference between God as Father, you know, the God behind the back of Jesus, and and Jesus who had come to rescue me, basically from God the Father, and uh, which was like my dad. And um, um, so the idea of God w- was there, and it was, it was both um, difficult in the sense that it drove me toward performance like my relationship with my dad did, and it was also incredibly comforting. And that was mostly in terms of the person of Jesus. And, um, um, but, you know, I've, I've been with a, a lot of my friends who come from a, an abuse background within a religious context. And, and for a lot of us, surprisingly, it wasn't God that we ended up being, you know, that, that we were mad at. Um, and I understand it when people are, uh, because the question is, if you're good, why, why didn't you stop this? But, uh, we knew that this was what people did. Human beings did this. We had a sense that human beings were very powerful people and and they had the ability to to do incredible damage. And um and so for a bunch of us it wasn't God we ended up being angry at. And we when when you're in the place where you're dealing with the shack or this the house on the inside and you're deconstructing all your assumptions I think uh, the the ability to find God becomes much easier because it's not nearly masked by all your presuppositions and and the lies that you've told yourself. Those are the things that are coming down, um, and I and I believe that God joins us in the midst of that process. I don't think I'd have made it any other way except through 
a sense of presence and grace. Being familiar with your work, your books, I've seen interviews of you. I've actually seen you in person lecture. I think one of your greatest gifts, your your reason for being, is the ability that you have to explain a relationship with God in, in very simple terms that anyone can understand. So for someone who is really searching, for someone who's desperate, how can you explain the love that you've come to know, that you share with us? How can you explain that love to someone? You know, of course, there's no there's no formula to that at all, or else you end up with religion again. We're talking about relationship with person. And, and the elements in us, the deepest longings that we have for authenticity, for integrity, for love, for kindness, for justice, I think all of those originate right in the core of the nature of God that we are then expressions of. So when I've been in a conversation with some folks and they really struggle because a lot of them have come from a religious context that has been very disheartening and devastating. And um, so, you know, my my question, and I love to ask questions because it it helps us get into the world of other people. And um, one question is, so tell me what you do believe in. You're struggling with the concept of God and the idea of God, but what do you believe in? And I'll tell you that if I'm talking to someone who has children, they believe in the way that they love their children. Mm-hmm. It is unconditional. The impact of choice affects the relationship, and that's always the way it's supposed to be. But the love itself is, I don't understand this, but I would step in front of a bullet when they're hurting. I don't want them to hurt. I would take it on myself, all of those kinds of things. So one of the things that we believe in is that kind of love. And I think that is a, an exact description or as close as we can get to understanding the relentless affection that exists in God toward us. And um, so it's like, all right, you believe in this kind of love, then what if this love is not a thing or an ideology or an emotion but as a person. And, um, and that begins to help us bridge into to saying, you know what, there is something in me that has been right all along, that has been good all along, that was deeper than any of the damage, any of the devastation. And, um, and that gives me a basis to then go, all right, where, where does this come from? And can I take the risk of begin to, beginning to trust that, that kind of love, other-centered self-giving? And at that point, you know, you take the risk that any child does to trust. It's slow, it's incremental, and it involves persons, not just God as person, but also the, the relationships that are around us that we can begin to trust. Paul, I just heard you say that we need to believe that there are parts of us or that all of us inside that were good. And that's where I think some of us have that shortcoming because we see the parts within us that we believe are bad or shameful or wrong with us. And that's what we tend to focus so much on. And I've heard you say that shame destroys one's ability to distinguish between a value statement and an observation. How did that impact yeah. your life? And, and, and what is it that we're actually hearing because of those feelings we have inside? Yeah, that's such a great question. So uh, let me give you a simple illustration, and it's probably one you've heard before. But when um, Kim and I were first married, and Kim is Minnesota, North Dakota, salt of the earth person. You know, she is from a huge family. They love loud. They fight loud. They 
they uh, forgive loud. I mean, they're just, they're very active and present people with great substance. So I hid my world, my inside world from Kim. She did not know really who she was marrying. And I didn't have really the capacity to love at the time because, you know, it was all performance. So I had the intellectuality and I had the uh, education and I had all those things that were a substitute for substance. And, uh, and yet she is coming from a huge family that is very substantial and um, very present. Well, one of the things that I found out, and, I'm, and the idea of being married to someone, I'm so grateful. It saved my life. But at the time, it terrified me because now, I mean, how do you just run away now? And, uh, and one of the things I learned about the shame that was such a present part of my, my life was exactly what you said. It destroys our ability to distinguish between a value statement and an observation. And Kim would, I tell people, Kim would say these terrible things to me after we were, when we were first married, like, Paul, don't, don't mix the colors with the whites. You know, and she's talking about laundry, right? But my shame had produced a, a demand on my life for perfectionist performance. There was no way that somebody could make an observation that, I didn't take as a value statement. So I didn't hear her say, I'm making an observation to help you learn how to do laundry better. I heard her say, I don't know why I married such a loser of a human being as you. Because shame, you know, you have this thin layer of perfectionist performance covering up an ocean of shame. And when somebody makes an observation, it taps right through that thin perfectionist performance uh, layer and right into your shame. And up comes either fight or flight. Shame fundamentally is... I am something wrong. Guilt is I did something wrong. And we're all guilty. You know, we've, we've hurt people. We've said things. We've lied. We've stolen. We've, in one way or the other. And, and guilt is, I mean, it's legit. Uh, guilt is I've done something wrong. But shame is not legit. It is I am something wrong. That is, at the very core of my being, I am something wrong. And sadly, if you think at the core of your being that you are wrong and you are bad, all you're going to end up with is performance. And at some point, you're going to run out of the energy to perform. And sadly, Paul, I think so many people are living from that place. Sadly, I think you're right. And I'm hopeful that that's going to change. I really am hopeful for that. Because once we begin to know the truth of our being, then the way of our being can match it. Otherwise, we're always going to be at war within ourselves. And, and, and we've got no place to go, especially those of us who are broken. You know, we don't have what it takes to perform our way into some kind of, you know, uh, approval or affection. Paul, in our final moments, what is something that you would like to leave our listeners with? One of the constant reminders for me is that that even though we age, and I'm surrounded by grandchildren, but I'm constantly reminded that we were designed to have the heart and uh, the imagination of children. So there is a simplicity of trust that children have until someone teaches them that it's dangerous. And, and, and the movement in our lives toward wholeness is a movement back toward this childlike simplicity where we live inside the grace of the day. We don't have to control and have an agenda for the future. And, uh, and I think we get grace for one day. And part of this uh, adventure is learning how to just live inside that grace. And uh, to say, today, today is the day that I have. I don't have control over anything else. What's right in front of me today? It may be very difficult. And we all have losses. That's one thing we share in common, uh, more than our politics and our religion and anything else, is that we share as human beings losses. And so, you know, a lot of us are facing very hard things. 
that are right in front of us. But just as best we are able, stay inside the grace of just Monday, just today. And, um, and that's where you learn how to trust. All this other stuff is imagination, stuff that we can't control and that we're not intended to control. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. It has been such a pleasure having you back on the show. Ah, it's an honor and a privilege. So thank you. Thanks, Joe. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in.